Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Hello, and welcome to this introduction to part two of the Catechism. So, We have done part one, which is the creed, and now the second part of the catechism is on the sacraments. So there are seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, and these are baptism, confirmation, communion, confession, marriage, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick. Now, we're going to spend the next kind of seven-ish episodes unpacking each of those sacraments, but today... We're just going to go over the kind of general overview that the catechism gives of the sacraments and liturgy, what they are and why we have them. And this will introduce some of the kind of key ideas that are going to sit under the next few episodes. So the catechism begins this section by introducing us to a fun new word, and that word is liturgy. So, okay, what is liturgy? It is the official public worship of the church. So to quote the Catholic Encyclopedia, it covers all of the official services, rites, ceremonies, prayers, and sacraments of the church. So basically, it's the stuff that the whole church officially does together, as opposed to the kind of private devotions that we might do at home. Or, you know, maybe stuff that is public but that isn't official. So, for instance, if you and your friends meet in the parish hall for a prayer group, that's totally fine, awesome, but it isn't liturgy. Now, the most obvious and the most important example of liturgy is the Mass, and that's often what people are referring to when they use that word. But it can also be any other form of approved public worship, so baptisms, weddings, funerals, or even certain prayers like the Liturgy of the Hours – or different rites within the Catholic Church. So the Church has approved different traditions of celebrating the sacraments, like the Byzantine rite or the Maronite rite, and these all fall under this kind of umbrella term of liturgy. Okay, so that's a kind of technical definition of liturgy. And while that definition is correct, we need to kind of qualify it because it can be a little bit misleading. It can lead us to sort of think that the whole point of liturgy is the stuff that we do. So the ceremonies and the words and the gestures, etc. And while all of those things are important, they are absolutely not the whole picture. So Peter Kreeft makes this point in his summary of the Catechism, he says, the word liturgy means work. The essence of the liturgy is the work done by God's grace, not the humanly invented ceremonies that carry it. So there are a couple of really important ideas that he's getting at there. The first is that the ceremonies and the words and the gestures and the formulas that we use in the liturgy are not an end in themselves, right? They are channels or vessels for God's grace. But God's grace, his work in our souls, that, that's the main event. That's what we're there for, right? It's just like how popcorn is like just a vessel for butter and salt. You wouldn't eat unsalted popcorn unless you were some kind of total psychopath because it's completely pointless and a waste of tummy space. So in the same way, the ceremonies and the symbols and the words facilitates and carries God's grace to our souls. And without that grace, all of those words and gestures, that would be completely pointless. 
And that's a really important thing to remember because it's so easy for us to fall into kind of going through the motions. So, for instance, when we go to mass, we might find ourselves kind of mindlessly standing and sitting and kneeling with everyone else and rattling off the responses while we're actually thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. And then we leave mass and we kind of pat ourselves on the back for fulfilling our Sunday obligation. But actually, all we've done is eat unsalted popcorn. And actually, if you haven't already, I would really recommend watching a talk by Father Mike. Mike Schmitz called The Hour That Will Change Your Life, because it's all about this, about how we're supposed to participate in the sacraments, particularly the mass, and not just kind of stand back and watch them or or let them happen. Now, if the ceremonies and the symbols and the words are just vessels for God's grace, does that mean that they're kind of unimportant and they don't really matter? Like we could sort of say and do anything. The main thing is the grace. No, that is not what that means. The vessel matters, even if it's not the main thing. So imagine putting butter and salt on a carrot and being like, mmm, popcorn, <laughs> like Sid the Sloth in Ice Age, pine cones, delicious. <laughs> it would be disgusting. It would be completely gross. And it's the same thing with the liturgy. The words and the gestures that we use aren't just random. First of all, they're part of our living church tradition, with a capital T. They are a way of professing and participating in that one faith that has been passed down to us from the apostles. So we want to make sure that we're saying the right things and doing the right things so that we are united to that one faith, right? And we're not just pinging off into our own version of it. As well as that, every sacrament, every liturgical formula is aimed at nourishing a particular aspect of our spiritual life. So we're not just randomly flinging words out there and hoping that God sends us his random graces. In the same way that if you were training to be an athlete, you would have a training program that targets specific parts of your body at different times to make sure that you're fit all over. So in point 1125, the catechism says, no sacramental right may be modified or manipulated at the will of the minister or the community. Okay, so we can't just start riffing on the mass and coming up with our own ways of saying it. Not because the church is full of control freaks, but because once we start mucking around with those things, we might actually miss out on something really important. This isn't to say that everything that we do as Catholics, all forms of prayer, need to follow a kind of rigid formula and be completely structured in public. Of course not. We need to do our own private, unstructured prayer and to develop our own personal relationship with Christ. But private prayer and liturgy aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, they're both necessary. Like, it's not going to be much help to us if we receive the sacraments, but we have absolutely no personal relationship with Christ. If we never pray except when we're in a church, we're not going to get very far. And in the same way, in the sacraments, we receive really specific and really powerful graces that are like rocket fuel, right? They, they power that personal relationship that we have with Christ. And without them, we're going to find it so much harder to stay close to him. Now, let's go back to that quote from Peter Kraft. The essence of the liturgy is the work done by God's grace, not the humanly invented ceremonies that carry it. So the second point that he's making here is that the most important aspect of liturgy is God's action, not 
hours. So I have a relative who every Sunday when she goes to mass, she'll say, well, time to grace God with my presence. And we all laugh about it. It's a really funny joke. But sometimes, quite seriously, I think that that's the way that we even subconsciously think about the sacraments. Like when I go to mass or confession, I'm kind of doing God a favor. It makes me think of when I was a teenager and my mum used to make me visit this elderly neighbor. And I would always sort of drag my feet because I was 15 and a complete ding dong. But she'd always say, look, I know you don't want to go, but it means so much to her. You know, she gets so much out of it. And sometimes maybe we can think that way about God, like we're receiving the sacraments as a favor to him. But in actual fact, the exact opposite is true. In reality, it is God who pours out the most unimaginable, infinite blessings on us through the liturgy and particularly through the sacraments. And once we really, truly understand what those graces are, how valuable they are, what he's actually giving us, the only possible response that we could possibly have is to get down on our knees and worship him and thank him and offer our whole selves back to him and ask him to continue to bless us. So in points 108.2 and 108.3, the catechism kind of summarizes this dynamic. It says that in the church's liturgy, the divine blessing is fully revealed and communicated. And in response, the church offers adoration, praise and thanksgiving. So that's what happens in the liturgy. God blesses us. And in response to that blessing, we offer him worship. Now, this dynamic is something that the entire church participates in, not just the church on earth, but also the church in heaven. And if we think about it, that is the very essence of Christianity, right? That God blesses us and in return, we worship him. So I love the way that Peter Kreeft puts it. He says, the liturgy is not in the world. The world is in the liturgy. The heavenly liturgy surrounds the world and the earthly liturgy participates in the heavenly. So obviously, liturgy in heaven looks completely different because saints and angels aren't in the material world, so they don't need those kind of physical, tangible signs like we do. But that essential dynamic of God blessing us and us worshipping him in return, that is what all of creation is called to do for all eternity. So one of the constitutions of the Second Vatican Council, which was all about sacred liturgy, it's called Sacrosanctum Concilium, in this document it says, In the earthly liturgy, we take part in a foretaste of that heavenly liturgy. So the liturgy, and particularly the sacraments, they are a literal foretaste of heaven. And, okay, we might hear that and sort of think, really? Like, it certainly does not feel like heaven when I'm standing in a church on a hot summer's day and I'm really not enjoying the music and I'm tired and I'm distracted. Okay, look, fair enough. The liturgy does not always feel heavenly. And that's partly because we're on earth and we don't have the beatific vision. And so those mysteries are veiled. And that means that we're not always going to feel the kind of tangible effects of God's grace, even if it is working in us. That's totally fine. And we shouldn't freak out about it or pressure ourselves to feel something every time we receive the sacraments. But also, maybe part of that sense of apathy might be the fact that we could just be going through the motions Maybe we're just eating unsalted popcorn when we receive the sacraments. We're not opening ourselves fully to those graces as much as we could. And maybe that's something that we need to rediscover, the whole point. Why am I there? Why am I receiving the sacraments? Am I truly accessing those graces or am I just going through the motions? 
Now, at this point, you might be thinking, you know, Caitlin, you have mentioned sacraments about a bajillion times in this episode, but you haven't actually at any point told us what a sacrament actually is. Good point. Let's do that now. And it's important that we understand what a sacrament is. In point 1113, the catechism says, the whole liturgical life of the church revolves around the Eucharistic sacrifice and the sacraments. So basically, you know, if liturgy is like one of those chairlifts that you see on a skiing slope, the sacraments, they are the pinnacle of the mountain that the liturgy brings us to. The sacraments are those key points in the liturgy where very specific and extremely important graces are poured out on us. And these graces purify and sanctify us. So Pope Pius XII, in his encyclical Mediator Day, defines sacraments as special channels through which people are made partakers in the supernatural life. So at the beginning of this episode, we listed those seven sacraments of the church, and each of these sacraments will help us to grow in holiness in a specific way. So for example, baptism frees us from original sin. Confirmation sends us out on our Christian mission. Communion is that daily nourishment and injection of grace that keeps us going, etc., etc. So point 1145 in the Catechism says that a sacramental celebration is woven from signs and symbols. So what are these signs and symbols? Well, they can include a few different things. Actions, words, music, and images. Now, these signs and symbols are necessary because as the Catechism continues, in human life, Signs and symbols occupy an important place. Humans express and perceive spiritual realities through signs and symbols. They need signs and symbols to communicate with others through languages, gestures, and actions. So in a nutshell, human beings need tangible things. Like imagine if you went to a priest and you said, oh, can you please baptize my baby? And he went, yep, he's baptized now. And you'd be like, what, when, how? I I didn't see anything. So we need the words and the water as tangible signs that God's grace is acting in that moment. So in the next few episodes, we're going to see this. When we look at each of the sacraments, we'll see that every single one of them uses signs and symbols. And that's something that's common to every sacrament. Now, at the very heart of Christian life is the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. And we know this, right? This is what everything revolves around and comes back to. The fact that Christ died for us and rose from the dead and in so doing brought us into relationship with God and made it possible for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. So we see the centrality of this mystery of Christ throughout the whole of the Christian liturgy. First of all, we see it in the Eucharist, which the Catechism in point 1169 calls the Sacrament of Sacraments. The Eucharist is so important precisely because it makes Christ in his glorified, resurrected body truly present to the whole church every single day through the Mass. So this isn't just an idea that is 2,000 years old and that we kind of call to mind. This is something that the church continuously makes truly present to us every single day. As well as this, every single week on a Sunday, the church specifically celebrates Christ's resurrection. And then if we zoom even further out, we see that every year the church has what we call a liturgical calendar which is centered on that feast day, which the Catechism calls the Feast of Feasts, which is Easter. 
right? The Easter Triduum, the death and resurrection of Christ. And this is the beauty of the liturgy and the liturgical calendar, that it's not just that the church has a rigid structure for its own sake, it's that the church is a mother who constantly nourishes us and never ever lets us forget the most important things about who we are and where we're headed. The whole of the liturgy, all of the sacraments, they are all ways of helping us to receive God's grace and orienting us towards heaven. Now, one final point before we wrap up is about sacred spaces. In point 1179, the Catechism says that the worship in spirit and in truth of the new covenant is not tied exclusively to one place. The whole earth is sacred and entrusted to the children of men. So basically, we can worship God and pray to him anywhere. We do not have to be in a church in order to pray. However, if we return to that idea that human beings need tangible signs, we can see how sacred spaces remind us of the sacredness of the thing that we're doing. So when it comes to the sacraments, and particularly the Eucharist, it's super important that we set aside specific spaces where we can gather. And these spaces, as the Catechism says in point 1181, should be in good taste and a worthy place for prayer and sacred ceremonial. They should show Christ to be present and active in this place. So the places where we worship should remind us that God is truly present here, that we are standing on holy ground. And that's why so many cathedrals are so magnificent and so ornate, not because the church wants to show off her wealth or to sort of seem imposing, but because that magnificence reminds us of heaven and invites us to contemplate the heavenly mysteries. And we can say the same thing about every other aspect of liturgy, the music, the gestures, the sacred vessels that we use. Each of them should remind us of the sacredness of what of ha- each of them should remind us of the sacredness of what is happening in front of us. Now, that doesn't mean that the way the liturgy is celebrated has to be to my personal taste. There's more than one way of being reverent, and it doesn't have to make me feel amazing every single time. But the biggest, most awful mistake that we can make is to have a kind of casual, informal attitude in the way that we celebrate the sacraments, and particularly the Mass, in the name of making it accessible. Or even worse, to try to make it kind of exciting or a little bit different, trying to kind of jazz up the Mass as though the congregation needs some other incentive other than the literal presence of actual God to be there. And that doesn't mean, again, that does not mean that the sacraments should be completely inaccessible or that every Mass has to be a high Mass. But the liturgy can be clear and simple while still being absolutely reverent and drawing us into the contemplation of the mystery of God. Okay, great. So this was a slightly shorter episode because we're basically just doing an overview of ideas that we're going to spend the next few episodes unpacking. So next week, we're going to start with the first of the sacraments, which is baptism. In the meantime, I hope you have an excellent fortnight and I will see you soon. Bye.